0: Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy podcast. My name is Tally Rye and you might be able to hear the sound of waves in the background. That's because I'm coming at you from Cornwall right now. We're enjoying the last of the British summer. I can literally see the sea from my bed. I'm literally looking out at the sea right now and I feel very calm. I feel very calm. So I really appreciate you sticking with me during our little mini hiatus, but we are back with an awesome episode today with my friend and life coach, author, and just all-round boundaries expert, Michelle Elman. Now, I really think we covered a lot in this episode. Michelle has been on a real journey through chronic illness, um, learning to love her body, learning to appreciate her body, through that illness but also how that impacted her relationship with fitness and diet culture and I just think Michelle just shares so many brilliant insights on how she has navigated the transition from exercising in diet culture and learning to become more intuitive and how she's found her happy balance and you know her happy place with movement which is awesome. And then I think she gives some brilliant advice on how we can navigate these conversations and set boundaries within our our relationships, our friendships with our family on discussing diets, body shaming, body talk, weight, you know, all this kind of discussion. I think she gives some real great insights on that. So I'm really excited for you to listen to that. Now, before we get into the episode, I want to tell you about a few changes that are coming up on the podcast because I am taking on your feedback and I'm working to make this better and for you to feel more involved in every episode. So first off, we now have a special email address that you can get in touch with us on. It is trainhappy at gmail.com. Now, I ask for you to get in touch and tell us your train happy moments. We're going to be doing the train happy trooper of the week. And if you follow me on Instagram, you may have seen that we've decided. Well, I've decided. I think we collectively named our community the train happy troopers. Um, Think the song Super Trooper by Abba. As our theme song and the spelling as our trooper name. But I like to use a play on words and I like to think that we're troopers fighting diet culture in, you know, sparkly jumpsuits a la ABBA. That's how I see us, to be honest. Um, But I want you to share your train happy moments with us and I'm going to be reading out those with each week in future episodes. So you can remain anonymous, but I just want to hear about your moment of kind of celebration or your little wins in becoming more intuitive with your relationship with food and exercise perhaps it's a body image win perhaps you've had a moment where you've recognized diet culture and um, you know decided to go your own way with things i would love to hear from you and just share your story so please feel free to write in and share that and secondly i'm going to be doing a special q and a episode each month and within that episode I want to dive a bit deeper into your questions and so I really request that you send in some of the kind of longer questions, perhaps more complex questions that you have in and I will do my best within my scope of practice to answer those for you. So once again you can get in touch at trainhappy at gmail.com and all the information for that is in the info box of this episode so you can find that on the podcast app that you're listening to. And whilst we're at it, it would mean the world if you could leave a lovely review and rate the podcast so that more people can see and share the episodes and the podcast. It would mean a lot. So yeah, if you wanted to leave five stars, I wouldn't be mad about it. But obviously, leave what feels appropriate for you. Okay, I've chatted enough. Um, Without further ado, let's get into Michelle's episode. Welcome, Michelle, to the Train Happy podcast. Um, I'm really happy to just... We were slightly chatting before we started recording today, but I'm really happy to chat with you because you always have amazing things to say, and I know we're going to have a great conversation. So for those listening, Michelle, who are you? What do you do? Um... And how have you been this
1: year? Well, thank you for having me on, first of all. Second of all, I'm very happy to be here because I think we share a very similar ethos around movement, exercise, fitness, all of those kind of things. How have I been? Uh, Very up and down. I've kind of just accepted 2020 as the year of personal growth and I'm going to lean in, embrace it and take advantage of the extra time I have to actually sit and process feelings. Whereas like, Usually it's me slotting that time in around a very busy schedule and I'm like, okay, so I can cry this evening, but then tomorrow morning you have to like switch it off for three days and then you can return to it on the weekend, whereas I could just feel it all at the moment. Um, Who am I? I am a five board accredited life coach. I started a campaign online, which is how most people know me, called Scar Not Scared, where I basically really wanted to have the conversation of surgery scars brought into the body positive conversation. I saw this body positive movement growing, and I didn't see a body that looked like mine. And at that point in my life, I was really confident in my own body. So I kind of had the thought of if not me, then who? And if I want this to happen and I want this to be included, then why why can't I do it? Um, and so that's how I started Scar Not Scared and how those surgery scars came about was I had 15 surgeries before the age of 20 and so grew up very insecure around those scars and went through my own confidence journey of accepting them at first and um, then learning how to accept the surgeries because I realised that accepting Except I basically accepted I was ugly first which is a very ironic thing to say now that I'm known for body positivity but it actually was one of the most liberating decisions I made um, simply because it meant I stopped striving to be different than what I was and then I had to go through the process of understanding like all the trauma that came around my surgeries and then that led me to Scar Not Scared which took me on its own journey of sorts.
0: Yeah, so you've—I mean, you don't—you can be humble, but you've done a TED talk and you've got your book, *Am I Ugly* as well. Yeah, so
1: done, I do.
0: You've really shared your message, um, and yeah, you're being humble. But she's done so much. Everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm really interested in in your kind of that. You know your childhood in terms of like how you related to your body and movement and fitness and then how that changed as you came into kind of adulthood really so i'd love you to kind of just chat a bit more about that
1: so when i was younger i would say i was a very active child i like had i did every after school activity in existence from like rugby to horse riding to paddle boarding to wakeboarding uh rollerblading ice hockey like, I did every sport, <laughs> pretty much. And I loved the most tennis, swimming. Um, and then I had... So I'd had... Uh, my seventh surgery was when I was seven. And that's when I think I started getting a consciousness around, like, oh, activity can be dangerous. And I started getting the message, I think maybe just because I was like, it's it's... I don't have many memories from my early like from seven or eight but after that I remember from basically my earliest memory my mum constantly saying watch your head watch your head like if you hit your head you're going to end up in hospital kind of messaging and so it started making my life a bit smaller and smaller and I don't really want to go horse riding anymore because obviously out of all of those that's probably the most risky one and then I don't really want to go wakeboarding anymore but I wasn't really telling people the reasons why and then I had five more surgeries at 11 and that's really when I was like the world is a dangerous place I don't need to make it more dangerous I never want to go into hospital ever again and I'm not going to do anything that is going to increase the chance of that so I stopped everything um I even stopped For some reason in my head, I had this weird idea that tennis was really dangerous. And so I swapped to squash because I thought it was safer. So that was the only sport I had left in my life. Actually, in hindsight, I think I thought like squash is a really tiny ball, but squash is very dangerous.
0: (laughs) I was literally having a conversation with my boyfriend the other day because I'm trying to take up tennis. I'm really, I love watching it. And, you know, I said, oh, I did. And a friend was talking about squash. And my only memory of squash is my head teacher at school having a o- really bad squash accent where he had to an eye patch. So uh,
1: they got really hard. They're like a, it was a really yeah. rubbery little. Also, I, I think the sound is more scary. Like, if you I hear must. some, and if you hear someone good playing, which, like, I wouldn't say I'm good, but I'm at the stage where I can make that sound, essentially. When people watch me play, they're like, you're amazing. And I'm like, I'm not amazing. It's just the sound of the squash ball when you're, like, actually warmed it up. Um, And that's the part which is really scary. And, like, I must say I've had quite a few injuries from squash because, like, if you're really going for it, the number of times I've even just run into the wall with the racket, like, pointed out, and, like, it's going straight into my stomach or something. But that was, so for, between the ages of 11 and... Nineteen, I just went through the typical puberty experience of like PE lessons. Um, There were a few added things around my scars, but this is one of the things I'm really passionate about was it, the message sent to me from 11 to what, 18 when I left school was um, if you're not good, you don't get to play. So I loved netball. Netball was my favorite. And I think from 15, I wasn't allowed to play because I didn't make any of the teams. So whilst the teams went to go practice, I had to do one of the recreational activities from like going to the gym or going to play squash. And I was so frustrated because I was like, wait, so I just never get to play netball again because it wasn't good. But because of that, like, and also because of things like cross country. So I remember having to, I couldn't do any exercise after my surgeries at 11 for six months and then the first PE lesson back was a whole year cross country which meant i came last by half an hour when the last person who like the person before me the their time was half an hour and my time was an hour so <laughs> at the whole of the school year all 90 girls waiting at the finish line for when I crossed the line. And also they had sent a teacher to go find me because they thought I got lost. But it wasn't that. It was just that I went from like being sedentary for six months to trying to run for for me for an hour. Um, And it's things like that was just become embarrassing and you equate all of this to fitness. And so that was my relationship with exercise. It was like, it's embarrassing. I'm slow. I'm bad at it. I don't understand how anyone can find this fun. And then I think in the later years, it was weight loss. The only reason to exercise is because I was trying to lose weight. Um, So I started getting into running and I started getting into kickboxing, but all to lose weight, like high intensity cardio things. There was no purpose in exercise other than to keep my calorie count down or to, to, what's the word? Where you you balance it, where counteract it, Yeah. yeah. And so that was my relationship with exercise. And then I went to hospital when I was 19 and I got this sudden urge. So I was bedridden for six months, six weeks. And I got this really random sudden urge to run and running was never my favorite thing. Like there were things I enjoyed, but like I didn't ever enjoy running i just did it to lose weight um and i think it was simply because i wanted to run it run away from the hospital and so when i started learning how to walk again after the six weeks i would walk really quickly and like the nurses would get really worried because they would be like stop walking so quickly And i was like i just want to run um and so when i went out of hospital i was in a really active friendship group at the time so after even after a night out or after a lecture, they would always be meeting in the gym and I just would never go because I was like, well, you can come back to halls and I'll see you then. But because that was like my friendship group, I was like, well, that's perfect. I can just go start hanging out with them and going to the gym with them. And I really fell in love with exercise from that moment. And I think it's 100% because it was the first time that I had nothing to do with weight loss. It came from the fact that I went from being bedridden. So it was all about my ability to move, the fact I could move, the fact that I like took for granted the, the fact I could move, move, and also that it felt stupid, because there were two main memories in those six weeks that I kept replaying in my brain. One was the fact that um, my friends were playing a card game and I remember not going because it was cold and raining, and it was a 20 minute walk that I didn't want to go on. Um, and the other one was a dance class, and I didn't want to go because I didn't want to be the fat girl in dance class. And those were the two main memories. I was like a twenty-minute. What I would well, kill to go on a twenty-minute walk because while I was learning how to walk, I was in in the hospital and the corridor was circular. So I literally had to go on this like circular walk, seeing the same like walls all day every day. Um, and these two memories, I just find funny that both of them were related to movement. But that was all I thought about for six weeks. So when I came out of hospital, it was like. I called it my YOLO summer. I was like, I want to do everything that I've ever been scared to do. And I think it also reversed. You know how I said when I was 11, it started this mentality of um, I'm scared of everything and everything can hurt me and send me back to hospital. When I went to hospital when I was 19, I was like, I've done everything to be safe for eight years and I still ended up in hospital anyway. Screw it. I'm going to do whatever I want because if I'm going to end up in hospital anyway, let's maximise the amount of time we have until the next hospital trip. And so my mentality switched and turned into this YOLO mentality because that was the word at the time. That was really popular. Um, And I went on hikes. I went cliff diving. I went wakeboarding. You could tell I take it to the extreme. (laughs) But it was a whole summer of like doing all the things that ever scared me, including dance class.
0: Because I think so many of us relate to that, like, secondary school experience of, like, I mean, your teenage years are just embarrassing anyway. It's just embarrassing going through puberty and everything feels a bit cringy and awkward. And I massively relate to you. I was definitely in the last group in cross-country and, yeah, wasn't any good at any sport. So didn't get included in PE in the same way that everyone else did. I think... I I always think that people from who went to school with me must think it's absolutely hilarious that I've become, um, my my whole life is fitness and I've, you know, become a personal trainer, written a book about it because it just seems like so far off. But that's because, as you've said, that sport is only portrayed in one way and and you having that almost epiphany, it sounds like, um, in hospital kind of gave you that different perspective. And I think I mean, yeah, what do you think about the sense of the epiphany? Do you think people need the epiphany? Do you think I, an an uh, important part? Um,
1: I think you have an epi- It's an epiphany in hindsight. I always say this about big moments. It's only, like, if you... One of the things in my book is I describe all these big moments and small moments, and then when you look back, you're like, oh, and obviously in my life in the same way, I look back and I'm like... Oh that that small decision i made when i was 15 actually turned out to be quite a pivotal point in my life and it's it's when you look at it at a book it's like almost the roller coaster ride of the story arch arc where like there are the peaks and the troughs but when you're living it you don't see it as oh this is going to be the climax of your like your teenage years or whatever um, but i think also if i think back to school times When you were talking, the memory of lacrosse came back to me and how much I was, I'm a bit of a scaredy cat, like in general, but also the fact that I was scared of hitting my head, the idea of playing lacrosse with the thing right next to your head and the lacrosse ball is really bloody hard terrified me and the number of times I would try to find a way to get out of PE every week like that was my life pretty much at 13 if you ask me what's the one thing you want most I'm like I want an off games note for the rest of the year so I don't have to worry about it that was the one thing I was like so scared of but being forced to do it every week didn't make me overcome my fear it just made me hate all of our PE lessons, whether we were doing lacrosse or not. And then swimming brought up body image issues. And I was like, if someone had just let me choose what kind of movement I wanted to do, I would have found my way, which I eventually did with squash because I actually love squash so much more than tennis to the point where I still play squash today. I've not touched a tennis racket in maybe seven years. Like I actually enjoyed squash, but it was just such a again tennis was one of those things tennis and swimming are those things which everyone's like but everyone loves tennis and swimming i don't love swimming i love dawdling in a pool i love the idea of tennis but actually i love squash and that's a less common hobby
0: um a couple of things from that firstly i found a year eight school report when i went home recently and the p one it said like Tally would be great if she remembered to bring her kit or had her. <laughs> I was like trying to get out of it every opportunity. Um, and secondly, um, I want you to chat about swimming because recently I read, I read a post of yours about like when you ask people to go swimming and I personally have started to go swimming, swimming because um, I gave, I got lessons and it was something I wanted to do because I feel like you can't talk to anyone in the pool and it's just a great way to switch off so
1: tell us about swimming michelle style so i okay school school swimming i hate it swimming laps i hate um even to an extent swimming in any public pool where there are lanes i hate because lanes create create pressure and to be honest i've never actually the public schools the public pools in hong kong don't have lanes so i only really saw that for the first time here when i moved here and i was like "Oh, i hate that because first of all i have to now rank myself of whether i'm slow medium or fast but then also what if i change my mind and i'm like i want to be slower than the slow lane which is actually what my form of swimming is now and the reason i wrote that post was because i went swimming the other week and just i i i call everything swimming i call being in a pool swimming and i said to a friend Do you want to go swimming we went swimming and um or what i call swimming which was walking up and uh, up and down the pool chatting uh with our like head above water and like i dip my head in water just cuz i like the sensation but not like you know like those old ladies doing breast breaststroke kind of i am like that when i swim sometimes and also i walk i like walking up and down in the pool um and then when i went to get out the pool my friend went oh wait so we aren't actually swimming and she basically seen that as the warm-up which i don't know whose warm-up lasts an hour but i was ready to get out so i was like we went swimming and that's when i was like oh okay so i understand that we didn't literally go swimming but i thought that's what like I count it all as swimming. And the reason why I wrote about it was because I don't like this idea that you should categorise fitness or movement as qualifying, as good enough, if it's intense enough, or if you've burnt enough calories, or you've sweated enough. To me, it's movement is all movement. And so I guess what well, that's why in my head swimming is swimming, whether I'm walking in the pool or not. And I actually started really realizing how much i enjoyed walking in the pool much more than swimming in the pool when i was recovering from that that last surgery because i relearned how to walk in the hospital and then by the time i was like healthy enough to come home i started walking up and down in the pool with one of those inflatable like uh, bands around your way- yeah around but like uh, a proper like rehab one that meant you could like walk in the pool um, and that's how I discovered that I actually really enjoy walking in the pool more than swimming in the pool.
0: Yeah, I love that it doesn't have to be formal and you can make it whatever you want it to be and you don't have to categorise yourself as okay this is a formal workout. Also, what came to mind when you were saying that was how much of you know when you're a kid and when you go swimming with as a child it is just playing in the pool and it's yeah. playing. and i feel like i don't know maybe i'm analyzing you a bit is do you feel like it's your inner child likes to swim and to like oh that 100%. that's very much for that part of you that yeah needs that and you find your like maybe more intense movement in other areas and this is more like a an inner child movement thing
1: well i actually call it like my water baby i think i like i have a water baby in me that just loves being in water like just the sensation of it i love the calmness of it it does even I don't know whether it's because my phone's away or whatever it is, but like being in water really calms me down from a mental health perspective. I don't need to be swimming in order to get that. Actually, I get it more so walking in water. And I do think it's an inner child thing, but also one of the sentences I say a lot is like, you loved riding your bike before you called it spinning. You loved dancing before you called it Zumba. All movement actually are inner child really healing things to do, but we categorise it and like I think it starts from the moment where we start calling it a workout because it has the word work in it whereas if I, I don't know about you but like I grew up without social media and so if I wanted to have fun when I was seven years old I would go upstairs and ring the neighbor's door and be like hey do you want to go ride our bikes and we would go ride our bikes and in Hong Kong it's really safe so we could just like go ride our bikes without our parents and that's how I spent my free time i wouldn't be like hey let's go burn some calories and get on our bikes um but it's funny that all of these zumba classes all these spinning classes have also categorized it as an hour and it's kind of led to this mentality that unless you do an hour it's not worth it and if we go back to the swimming thing that's the same with walking how many people don't count walking as movement and i'm like but that leads to health benefits but Forget health benefits. That's good for your mental health. That's movement. It physically is movement. Movement is moving your body. That is it. That is the base criteria and only criteria.
0: Yes, I'm all for getting people to think outside the box and think really broadly and in terms of how you can move your body and all the different ways and what you were saying about how we call it work out and that we've made it a work thing that's another thing to check off in our list and you know it's to be productive is to work out and it made me think that how as a child we call it play time and when you went on a bike ride with your friends it's like hey do you want to come out and play today and yeah being active and moving was all about like adventure and play and having fun and you're right, that totally gets diluted and
1: even kind of removed
0: as you But also started.
1: if you think about the game like it or tag, that's running. <laughs> like you're just distracted because you're trying to chase someone. And you know how those apps have been developed so you can pretend like you're being chased by zombies while you're running? I'm like just go and play it in the park. You don't need to terrify yourself or, like, make up zombies. You could just go grab your friends and go play tag. What's wrong with adults? Play tag. I do think we should,
0: like, do a petition to start calling our workout, like, adult playtime. Yeah. Play. I'm not doing a workout. I'm on a play date. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> um, But I think that's really important in helping people find that fun. And, you know, as you mentioned later in your teens, exercise was equated with what could I do to make me smaller, thinner, burn calories rather than what can I do for enjoyment? And that mindset switch is so huge in intuitive movement, I think. Um, So important. And I think what you said also about the time around the workout and, you know, the prescribed one hour class, even 45 minute class. So I would love to hear how you kind of rebelled against those diet culture rules because I think a lot of them does stem back to this kind of prescriptive nature that diet culture has put on fitness that you know has to be done in certain time frames and has to look and feel a certain way.
1: So I think with the when you're in the beginning of trying to combat all of this I had to be very strict with myself. So I had to make it if I go back to that summer no numbers no calories were allowed anywhere if i was on a treadmill it would be covered with a towel like i was militant about everything where i was like we are going to do this the exact opposite way that i've done this before so the dance class that i got really into weirdly was two hours long but i would always like it would be a thing where i'd always bring a friend with me and the one thing I always said to myself throughout that summer, because like a two hour dance class, I'm not even joking, the guy changed his shirt, the instructor changed his shirt maybe five times during the dance class. You And it's in Hong Kong where like the humidity is like 99%. Um, but the one thing I would always say to myself is you can leave whenever you want. And I did that through whether it was the gym, dance class, paddle boarding, whatever it is. And the key with it is you stick to the promise that you made to yourself. So I remember one day I told myself, just as a building routine thing, the only thing I stuck to was you had to exercise three times a week. And it was just more to build a habit and build a routine because I was never a person who consistently exercised. So I said, you had to move your body three times a week. And at the time in uni, it was largely the gym. Although I've now moved on to think, look, that's also a bit of diet culture where the only kind of exercise you class is exercises anything gym based but at the time it was the gym but that meant if I so my um, house at the time was 20 minutes walk from the gym if I walked to the gym stepped foot in the gym and wanted to walk straight out I let myself do that and I used to actually do it and there there were moments of guilt there were moments of this is really stupid why would I walk all the way to the gym to walk back and then it occurred to me I've just done a 40 minute walk regardless of whether I've actually done anything in the gym. And there were times, I remember there was one day I really didn't want to go to the gym, but I was like, you've made a promise to yourself that you will go, that you can leave as soon as you want. So I walked to the gym with one trainer and I was like, there was no way it was going to work out because I didn't have my other trainer. But I still did it because it was all about building the self-trust and keeping your promises to yourself. But the promise that you can leave whenever you want is a promise that I know a lot of diet culture, like people in diet culture say to themselves, but don't actually follow through on. And that was the one that I always, I did, I did to myself a lot in diet culture. So to actually leave when I wanted to leave, to leave after five minutes or leave after I just walked like step foot in the gym. And like, there were these, um, because you had to buzz your card in. Like, even the people at reception would see me buzz my card in and then, like, walk around and buzz my card out. They'd be like, what's she doing? Um, But it was just reversing everything I'd been taught, like the shame of doing that, the shame of leaving the gym, the guilt of not working out even though you bothered to walk all the way to the gym, that it's a waste of time. All of these narratives come up in your head, these, like your inner critic will be really loud in those moments, but doing the polar opposite to what you would have done before is the way you reverse it. And that's how I started. Um, So it was this agreement that I would go three times a week, no matter what, um, and whether I walked in and walked out and that was it, so be it. Um And I didn't let myself equate any of it to weight loss. But more than that, I think it shouldn't be equated to nutrition at all either. Where I was like, you always talk about diet and lifestyle or you talk about diet and fitness and they're always put together and I'm like they're two completely different things and when they are two completely different things you can actually enjoy fitness because a lot of people are like can you be body positive and diet and I'm like no and they were like well then why do you go to the gym I'm like I what <laughs> that's to do with food I'm moving my body can you can you be body positive and exercise 100% if anything fitness and movement exercise is body positive and it also made me love my body more because it made me focus on what my body can do more than what it can look what it looks like
0: yes so much I'm nodding furiously to anyone who's listening and not watching a video I'm nodding furiously to everything Michelle is saying because it's absolutely that it's separating the food and fitness thing because in some ways I think the way we relate to food impacts the way we, we relate to exercise because diet culture did a real big number on fitness and told us that when we work out, we have to change the way we eat. And I think that's one of the reasons people feel reluctant to start moving their body or you know, go to the gym, do the kind of activity they want, because they they know that when that happens, they have to you know, supposedly eat like a rabbit or, um, you know, only eat a certain, a lower calorie thing and they can't eat all the food they would like to enjoy. But when we come at it with intuitive eating, we're like, okay, you have unconditional permission to eat. And whilst you're working on that intuitive relationship with food, you're working on that um, thing with fitness as well. And I think the biggest part about it, as you said, is the trust element. And I would just love to talk to you more about how you keep building that trust, because I think that's something that comes up a lot When I'm talking to people who are wanting to be more intuitive and we start breaking the rules and rebelling a little bit and doing things our own way, which is what intuitive movement is all about. Um,
1: But I also think following on... As you said, like keeping your promises. Yeah, one of the things you said about um, the earlier part of your question was that it's an extension that is that fitness equates to results. And I actually got rid of that completely. And like, I know there are people who say, oh, but you can track like your bench presses from five to 10 when I say I got rid of all numbers I got rid of all tracking like I didn't track how far I ran I didn't track the time I didn't track the distance I didn't track the improvement I didn't track the number of reps I did to this day I don't track the number of reps I did if I'm working out with a PT then she could do it for me but like I understand and some PTs will be like that's unsafe unhealthy I don't care like it makes me happy. And I like lifting, doing one exercise for 10 reps and then changing my mind and doing another thing. Um, but in the same way that sometimes when I go on run, I don't even follow the, like, cause there are sometimes tracks where you can run I will dart in random directions. And I remember one of my friends saw me do it one time. Like, she was watching out the window. And she was like, you look like Phoebe from Friends when you're running. And I was like, I don't care. I'm having fun. And it means I don't get bored because I'm, like, darting in random directions. But the trust thing is huge because if you... So trusting the fact that you can leave whenever you want to was one thing, but trusting your body when it's in pain is another. Knowing the difference between your body is aching because you worked out yesterday and the difference between no, you've actually injured yourself is another thing. During the workout, that's another trust element. So let's say you said you were going to do 20 and at 19 you start really hurting and you're like, oh, I'll just do the last one. I don't do the last one. I'm like, no, something's hurting. It's not oh I'm sore something's hurting I will stop there and then I don't question it I don't ask why I just trust my body if I wake up and I've told myself I'm going to the gym because I don't have that strict rule of uh three times a week anymore um just because that was that was needed for the routine at the time but like that was a short-term thing and it was always going to be a short-term thing if I wake up I said I was going to go to the gym and I wake up and I feel lethargic I don't go Like I listen to my body. I know when my body's tired. I know when it needs to rest. And a lot of that has come from the fact that I've had chronic illnesses my whole life. So I know when my body's in pain and like whether it's in a doctor's office or um, in a classroom where I've had to advocate for my body and be like, no, I'm seriously ill. I need someone to take me seriously. I do the same in the gym. And unfortunately, because I live in a fat body, I have to advocate for my body even more so. And when I was going through a period of trying to find a PT, having to advocate for your body was exhausting because I would walk in and first thing I would say is, I don't want any conversation about nutrition. I don't want any conversation about weight loss. And they're like, yep, no problem. Let's just do the like form and signing and everything. And then the first conversation is like, okay, so do you drink eight glasses of water a day? And I'm like, okay you're toeing the line slightly because I don't know why that's relevant but I answer that question do you eat meat and I'm like (laughs) what did I just say like you as my PT I don't actually think you get to know what I eat at all like I'm not interested I'm not coming here for that um or is even a time when um my PT was running late for 10 minutes. So he had handed me over to another PT to just warm me up. And she, as the warm up, she was like, do a plank. And I've had 15 surgeries in total, but like, what, nine of them were abdominal surgeries. I'm not doing a plank anytime soon. Also, I have a tube in my neck, which means that as soon as I do a plank, my shoulders go up to protect my neck because it like, I, my shoulders are really weak. And so I knew that not only would it be bad for me, but I would probably end up in the physio by the end of the week if I did that. So I was like, I'm not doing it. But because I am both chronically ill and fat, she took it to mean I'm not doing it because I like I can't. And you know that saying from PTs of like, don't say can't, it's a bad attitude, blah, blah, blah. And that was the kind of thing I was feeling. And I was like, no, I can't do it. And one of the things I believe about boundaries is you shouldn't have to justify why, like you should be believed. And so I, I wouldn't say why. And I was just like, no, I can't do it. And eventually I said it four times and she was like, don't say that. That's a bad attitude. If you don't think you can, you won't be able to like, blah, blah, blah. blah. And then I go, eventually I just lift up my top and I'm like, I can't because I've had nine abdominal surgeries. Would you like me to break my neck right now? And (laughs) she was like, oh, never mind. And I was like, yeah, so you sort of dropped it after the second time when I said I can't. But it's this assumption that if you're fat, you're inexperienced in the gym, you're lazy, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, I've been, as much as I hated exercise, I've been going to the gym with my dad since I was seven years old. I am one of, the, like, I, I understand the gym. I understand the machines. I know how to work them. I'm not inexperienced in a gym, whether I liked it or not, whether it was diet culture or not. I'm not inexperienced in a gym. And so treating someone like that simply because you've looked at my body type and do I believe she would have done it to a thin person? No, I don't think she would have. And I think this whole, like, I can't do it wouldn't have been taken to mean anything other than she did she couldn't do it unless I was fat. And then it's like, oh, it's because you're so used to being lazy that... And it's those kind of comments which, like, I have just got so used to being like, no, I trust myself. I'm not going to be, like bent into doing something that I don't want to do and I know how this ends because I've spent my entire life in physio appointments trying to like improve my body and as you go on fitness journeys things are going to happen and you're going to injure yourself but I know when an injury is about to happen and so that whole cliche of like you're never going to regret a workout like I always say you regret the workout you injure yourself in
0: absolutely and I think that's definitely something we as fitness professionals need to get better at i know that you know in the past i would definitely have been like you know come on i think you can do it why don't you give it a try person because unfortunately the training that we get as personal trainers is actually on a very narrow body type a very narrow view of fitness and so we don't consider people with chronic illness we don't consider surgeries we're not considering people in large bodies they're just not considerations covered, at least when I was training, you know, six, seven years ago now. So I think it's really important you bring that up. And I hope personal trainers listening are like, mm-hmm, something to add to the radar. And, you know, and also, if if you feel comfortable with saying what, you know, is there anything, you know, as a personal trainer, is there anything I need to know about, um, you know, before we get going with this Um, which is should be kind of standard practice anyway I think that's really important but the the way you self-advocate and the boundaries you set in place are really powerful and key to I think that dynamic and yeah I think that's something that lot of people struggle with because I think one of the things that diet culture does and something is it does take away our trust in ourselves and our confidence and it kind of takes away our voice a bit because we've just got this this voice of doubt in our mind saying like "Uh uh-uh you don't know how to do this you don't know how to be trusted you don't know how to work out on your own without you know someone telling you what to do and I think um how do you cultivate that trust with yourself in terms of that confidence in a gym environment in that personal trainer relationship because I know you've had subsequent personal trainers that have been positive relationships you know how did you you know find your
1: way with that so I think it comes from diet culture because if you take diet culture at its basic instant it's when you feel hungry and diet culture in whatever way whether it's a track or whatever is telling you no you're not So you automatically override what your body is telling you. In the same way that, because we don't have diet culture for water, (laughs) like if you got told like, oh, I'm thirsty, or you just had a glass of water and you're still thirsty, you wouldn't go, well, that's crazy. I just had a glass of water, so I'm not going to get another glass of water. But that translates to exercise, because how many times is your body going, stop, 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 and because you're not listening, or you're going, no, my tracker says 10 more, or my fitness plan says 10 more, or this Instagram person has said that I need to do this on this day, and therefore I haven't, like, met my target, it's these numbers, and it's these goals that we have in our head that override what your intuition and your body is telling you in the moment, so genuinely checking in with your body, and it, especially in the beginning of my fitness journey, I used to work out without any music and I used it, used it as an opportunity to what I call associate in your body. So I would check in with my body the entire time, and it was simply sometimes just going for walks where I'd be like, okay, how are my legs feeling? How is my heart feeling? okay, do I wanna stop now because of my legs? Do I wanna stop now because of my heart? Is this too much or am I getting a workout? Is it a pain in my shin? Is it like, and it's checking in with your body and being like, and what you realize is that movement at its most basic level, and again, just taking a walk, for example, feels really good. Like if you go into your body and you're like, oh my chest feels really good right now because like air's coming into it fresh air's coming into it and you start to feel those things so you can pick up on pain you can pick up on injuries that are about to happen because it's like oh wait there's a weird twinge in my shin right now that might turn into shin spins if I don't stop or if I don't like massage it out or something um but it also makes you aware of the fact that feels good like your body like your legs actually feel good your stomach actually feels good your heart feels good um and that's the kind of thing which started building that for me is trusting my body over anything else over what whatever external source is telling me otherwise like if i was in a dance class and i was like Chilling in the background because that exercise is not for me. So, for example, I do have issues with shin splints. So, if they start like doing jumping jacks or jumping up and down, I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh, like I'll step up and down, but I'm not jumping. And then, if the trainer comes over and is like, oh, come on, like a bit more energy in it, I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, not happening. And if you put pressure on me more than once, I walk out. And that's one of the things which I found in the beginning was one of the hardest things. was it's embarrassing if you walk out of a gym gym class not just for you but it's rude to the instructor and learning that I come before everything else and that if the gym class isn't working for me then I can walk out was a huge thing because what I found was I wasn't going to gym classes because I was worried I was going to get stuck there for an hour and not enjoy it but if you have this in your head that you can walk out if you're not enjoying it if the instructor is, like, offended, fine, so would be it, but to be honest, now that I've done it so often, I can tell you that majority of instructors have experienced it already, and, like, don't, most don't take it personally. If they do, it's their own stuff. Um, but also, if you're pressuring someone, and you're making them feel uncomfortable in your class, if that's the reason you walked out, not because you're just not enjoying it, then that's on you <laughs> it's not on me and how is it embarrassing for me to walk out of the class when this is a class full of strangers i'm never gonna see again
0: do you deliberately position yourself near the door or do you no
1: i it, to be honest i usually position myself up in front and if i don't enjoy it i still walk out like i will walk through the class and walk out um i like it's it's about putting yourself first that like because i ultimately where's the judgment coming from from the other people in the class what are they going to think of you like this is the internal dialogue that goes in all of our heads what are they going to think of you oh she's lazy because well, i'm fat it would be like oh she's lazy she couldn't hack it she could like or like oh i wonder what happened with her wait is this a bad class like all of these thoughts apparently go go into their heads but you don't know that you're mind reading you're projecting what you think's going to happen so once you deal with your own shit around like what you think everyone is saying about you, you realize no one's actually said it, you're making it all up. And also it essentially comes down to the fact that it's their opinion over your comfort level. And at this point in my life, I choose my comfort level and I choose the fact that I don't want to waste 50 minutes in a class when 10 minutes in, I know I'm not enjoying it because I might as well go outside and get on the treadmill or go outside and use the cross trainer and actually enjoy the next 50 minutes or however long I want to stay in the gym. So, because I think,
0: you know, I love that you're there with the confidence to do that because even I, as someone who feels very comfortable in the gym, would feel a little bit nervous about stepping out of a class. And just in those scenarios, I definitely would be like, oh, they're thinking this and they're thinking that, even when you've done a lot of work. So I want to know. Um, but have
1: you-, you ever been in a class and someone else has walked out?
0: What have you thought? When I've taught classes, yeah, people leave for various reasons. And, you know, I just, I personally choose not to take it personally. From years of experience, because you never know what's going on for that person, so you don't know why
1: they. But also, when you're when you're working out in a class, like not as a PT Mm. but as a person, and another person in the class walks out, do you really spend that long thinking about that person who's walked out?
0: You might go like, Oh, they've left. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: I'm carrying on with what I need to do. Or like I sometimes go like, Oh, I wonder why they're leaving, and then you have like it's a three second thought in my head, and is that person meant to really? design their life around my three-second thought
0: now Brené Brown says something around this and it's gonna bug me that I'm gonna have to look it up but I think it is around boundaries which is kind of where this conversation is heading and I think it's about um almost like basic temper suffering temporary discomfort for your long-term comfort and realizing that you're gonna have to just do the hard thing and in the moment it's not necessarily the super fun and easy to do, but it's way better to do it in that, sh- have that short-term discomfort, to sacrifice it in- for the long-term feeling better. But
1: also, it's really important to say I'm human. Like, I did have fear while I did it the first time. The fear gets less and less the more you do it. And also, I think the first time I did it, it actually required the instructor annoying me. Like, I think they were trying to push me into something I didn't want to do. And that's why the annoyance overrode the fear. But after i did it the first time the second time became easier and then i was like why am i waiting to get annoyed when i can just walk out because it's not even always a bad class it's just a class or i'm not particularly enjoying it or i thought i wanted a class and i didn't actually want a class i want to work out alone it's something it could be something as small as that it's again going back to stop questioning why just do it like you know you know in your head it's gone oh I don't really want to be here great let's go somewhere else but it's this mentality I think it's combined with the mentality that if you've committed to something you have to stick to it and it's this idea of like well if I said I was going to go work out then I have to do it but like if your brain's not enjoying it and your brain's like I'm not enjoying this right now pushing through I think causes more damage then leaving because i think when you push through you tell yourself that like your enjoyment isn't worth it and you start equating you then go back into the relationship of equating movement or exercise or fitness to something that's not enjoyable and punishing your body whereas like i won't do any form of movement that i don't find fun anymore so if it's not fun in 10 minutes it's not going to be fun in an hour i
0: love it michelle i feel like you're yeah your insights on intuitive movement are fantastic. So I want to talk more about these boundaries and I want to talk more about them in the context of when we are rejecting diet culture, trying to get fitness back on our own terms, get health, nutrition, all these things, you know, get them back onto our own terms and become more intuitive. How the The kind of biggest feedback I get on this, and I think a lot of fear and confusion maybe in terms of how to navigate this is the feedback and the judgment of what other people think and whether that's family members, partners, friends, commenting on body sizes, commenting on food choices, commenting on, you know, whether you exercise or don't exercise. And how do you recommend we set boundaries in those situations and how do you recommend that we navigate those so that we, you know, feel that we've had that boundary in place and we are able to work on ourselves without the fear of what other people are
1: thinking so I think they all kind of sit in the same camp like someone commenting on your food commenting on like your fitness someone commenting on anything that has to do with your body it's all under the same umbrella and so I deal with it in a very similar way where I would simply go like can we end this conversation I don't want to have this conversation or let's say they made a comment like oh, you're working out, like, you're looking so great or something like that. And I would just say, yeah, I am working out, but I, I'm not results-focused and it's not my uh, – my goal is not to improve my body. I would say something like that if it's a comment like that, which is not always bad intentions, but when it's things like you could do with losing some weight, I'm like, my busy my body, my business. I will say that as a way to cut off the conversation. They continue talking. I'll be like, can we stop this conversation? if they continue talking after that, then I'll be like, I'm going to leave this conversation if you don't stop it right now. And then if they do, don't stop it, I walk out of the conversation. I'm like, I've already warned you once, I'm leaving. And so once you do that, and it, it, it's, I guess it's uncomfortable when you first do it, although uncomfortable is probably not the word I would use, but it is awkward. It makes the conversation awkward. But And I get it, a lot of people don't want to make it awkward because we've been brought up, especially women, to believe that you should always be nice, you should always, like, you know, all those things. things. Yeah, polite, yeah. Whereas if you see it from the other perspective of it's my body and it is my job to protect my body against anyone and any comment that is going to disrupt this happiness with inside my body, then it's my job like I have to protect my body and sometimes I do imagine like little Michelle and I'm like what would I do if it was a seven-year-old Michelle having to listen to like oh your thighs have got a bit fat which like growing up in Hong Kong you get those comments you get like detailed comments about how you need to lose weight I would have you would jump up for a seven seven year old well that seven year old lives inside you so jump up for her now and defend her how she should have been defended when she was seven years old. And that's where it comes from. And that's why um, I guess I come across quite fierce when I'm doing it because I genuinely see myself protecting all of like the inner children in me who shouldn't have to hear these things. Um, And in like, in all of those scenarios, it's putting me before, it's putting my body and like my opinions about my body more important than your opinions about my body. And I just don't think anyone gets a right to comment on what you're doing with your body, whether it's the food or exercise. Um, I guess it's a bit harder when it comes to comments where it mean like they mean well. So let's say you have, I had a friend who every time I met up with her, And I never lost weight, but every time I met up with her, the first thing she would say is, oh, you look so great. You've lost weight. And I I eventually one day just went, you know what? Every time I see you, you tell me I've lost weight and I haven't. Why is that? And she was like, oh, I just thought it's a nice thing to say. And I was like, but why lost weight? And I was like, you don't say that to any of our other friends. And so I actually just got into a conversation about it. So it depends on the person you're talking to. I'm a lot harsher with strangers. I'm a lot harsher with acquaintances. With friends, I sometimes dig into it. And I'm like, but why are you asking that? Another way... That is it, the
0: life coach in you though, Michelle. I think yeah. you've got that
1: advantage. Like the psychology
0: degree and the
1: life coach aspects means you're like,
0: hmm, why did you feel like... I'm curious, ...you asked that yeah. question.
1: <laughs> But also it's, it's very much, I, I find humans fascinating and I'm curious how how that came about. Like, yeah, it is the life coach of me. But then I get it. Like I am very experienced at boundaries now. I'm five years in to setting boundaries. Like, it seems like it's second nature to me now. I did go through the beginning process and in the beginning process, I and also because it's my job, I don't always want to start a big conversation on body positivity every time someone says something. So a big thing you can do is silence. And um, I noticed the impact of this. I did this for about two years. I had a friendship group with two older women, both in their 50s and I was in my early 20s at the time. And uh, they would always talk about their bodies, like nonstop talking, like lifting up their tops, pulling at their stomachs. I need to go on this diet, that diet. And anytime that conversation came up, I just would not contribute and then one day one of them came to me and they both had children they both had multiple children and were married um, and I was like this young 20 year old and she came up to me she was like my daughter keeps hiding chocolate bars in the in in the like bin but like stuffing it way down and I found it the other day and um, I don't know why she's hiding chocolate And so I started talking to her about the way she talks about her body. body, And I was like, when you go to the gym, what kind of language do you use? And then I said, like, well, if you say, like, oh, well, I now deserve this chocolate. what What about her? She doesn't go to the gym. Does she not deserve chocolate? So that could be a reason why. And then after the end of the conversation, I said, out of curiosity, why did you ask me? Because I don't have any children. Why didn't you ask our other friend? And she was like, because there's this thing you do that every time we talk badly about our bodies and we're putting down what we look like you don't contribute and i was like you notice that and she was like yeah because you literally go silent until the conversation is over and i was like but i've been doing that for two years and she was like yeah and we talked about it like behind the back being like why does she go silent every time and like It just made me realize that you have a good relationship with your body and I didn't have to say anything. It was just this conversation that was going on behind my back without me knowing. But they had noticed and that was the thing which I actually think is without me doing anything without me contributing to the conversation they had noticed that I wasn't going to be a part of it which meant they stopped having the conversations in front of me like over the space of those two three years they stopped having. I thought they were having the conversations less and less probably naively I thought I was having a positive impact on them they weren't having them less and less they were just having them whilst I wasn't in the room which it's preferable to me because I don't want to be in the room when you're putting yourself down another way you can interject is like if your friend puts her body down all the time and you don't want to be around it you don't want to hear it one thing I say quite a lot is like stop talking about my friend like that and so (laughs) it's a thing of like putting it in a different perspective um and so I'll say things like that My body, my business is another really useful one. Um, and I was dating a guy who used to put down his body the entire time. But I understand it's like none of my business, but it does impact me when the conversations of diet culture are around me. So like the constant I need to lose weight, I need to lose weight, even if I'm like not part of the conversation, it does affect me, especially if I'm in a relationship with someone. And so he started to do that and like it would always be like, Oh, I'm so fat, I need to lose weight. And so Bearing in mind, he was a thin guy and I was a fat woman. I was like, you're in a relationship with a fat woman. like. So how I would respond to that, because again, I didn't want to go into a whole conversation about body positivity. It's my whole job. It's my work day. I don't want to then in the evening relaxing with my boyfriend, have to then go into it. So what I started saying was every time he had that comment, he started saying like, I feel fat. I would simply go, fat is not a feeling. And I would just drop it. And that's all I would say. And... I did that I think for three weeks and then eventually he went you know you say fat is not a feeling what does that mean <laughs> and so to me it was like okay now he's open to having a conversation but it took three weeks of saying the same thing over and over again and as much as you might sound boring and repetitive it's drawing a line and sticking to that boundary and this is for people who you like don't necessarily want to cut out of your life but then there are other people who make body shaming comments where uh, I mean, it's a broader conversation of whether some people believe you should cut your family out, but let's say a friend is body shaming you. If a friend is consistently body shaming you and you've told them that hurts your feelings or that upsets you, you have to start questioning why they're actually doing it. Because is that really a friend? When you told them that it hurts your feelings and they persist in their behavior because they believe their opinion is more important than how you feel, that's an indication of your friendship. And I think you need to start looking at that. And as much as all of these tools around language and how to communicate that are important, it's also important to know that there's the option of cutting people out and cut and cutting someone out for body shame comments is a very valid reason. I cut out two, three friends who couldn't stop commenting on my body and I just think it's, it's seen as petty. It's seen as a small thing. But if you took it, take it as a broader example, a small, uh, small behaviour, but as, as a broader example of your feelings are less important than their opinion, that's not good friendship.
0: Yeah, that is not a good dynamic to have um and a good mindset to be in and going back to what you're saying about with your boyfriend i thought it was really interesting because i think with some people especially when you first learn about diet culture and you're first rejecting diet culture and learning about intuitive eating like this stuff is enraging and it can cause you to you suddenly have these glasses on where you see it everywhere everyone's conversations you see it on the tv every little comment and it gets under your skin because it you just you just know how the you know the negative well you're like oh it. that's why they call it diet culture yes. it's literally in our culture yes and it's everywhere and so i think um i this has been my experience this has been an experience of friends i think where you become extremely sensitive to any conversation happening and you know if there was the dynamic in the relationship where for example your boyfriend was saying you know I feel fat. I want to lose weight and all those kinds of things. I thought it was really interesting how you handled it by waiting until he was open to talking about it rather than just jumping on that and giving a lecture about it or, you know, just having a bit more, I don't know, giving it a bit more time and time to land. and I don't know. Maybe my natural instinct sometimes is to go and, you know, maybe in the past, has been to go into lecture mode I'm very much in the mindset now of like that's my job and I very pick and choose my moments to comment but I would be really curious about you know in your professional opinion how you yeah so strong during that time of like just thinking
1: like trust the process It. <laughs> so if I launched into it that would actually be a sign of my bad boundaries. and what I found is I used to do that but around life coaching not around diet culture where when I first got trained I got all these tools I got all these gimmicks and I was like I want to show everyone so people would like be talking about their lives and I would be like I can fix that and I'm like oh wait they haven't asked for me to fix it and so I started getting used to going do you want advice or do you want me to listen and then also asking are you talking to me now as a life coach or are you talking to me now as your friend because sometimes my friends are coming to me because I'm their life coach friend and so finding that distinction but always asking for permission before I go into it because even though like I've had a friend once be be like... But it also works both ways. So I started doing that, and now I get texts which will be like, hey, do you have a moment? And usually that's a sign that they want a life coach thing, and they're like, do you have the... I will get texts which literally say, do you have the emotional energy to be a life coach for 10 minutes? Like, And it's things like that which so beautifully boundary. First of all, do you have the emotional energy? Second of all, can you be a life coach right now? Third of all, I need 10 minutes of your time. Like, it's such respect when not only are you being respectful because you're not launching into it but second of all they're also being like I realize I'm asking you to do your job right now even though I'm not going to pay you um the reason why I say fat is not a feeling is because I see it as so if we see about so a physical boundary would be like a fence right and when I say fat is not a feeling it almost feels like this shield or this helmet comes on of being like Bouncing back your words, being like, you can have that belief, but like, ring fenced me, and it's not coming in my circle. So when I say something like that is not a feeling or my body, my business, it's like almost as my like reflector, my way to bounce it back, but not have to actually engage in the conversation, mm-hmm. um, but without launching into it. So that's how I do that and I also think it doesn't work because as much as you're really passionate about body positivity especially in the beginning I was the same way around body positivity as I was around life coach and it's because you discover this amazing new thing and you're like everyone needs to know about it I want to share this goodness like but then you realize wait no if you had forced this down my throat two years earlier than I was ready for it I wouldn't have listened. I would have found it really boring and I would have got really annoyed because I'd been like, you just distracted the conversation I wanted to have. So now what I do is like, I will say, well, okay, come to me when you're ready. Or I will say, well, there's this great book on Body Positivity, but I won't go buy it for them. And I won't, push it I won't say it more than once but if they like I've had friends come back to me two years later be like hey you know you mentioned that book ages ago what was it called again like things like that you have to wait until someone's ready to hear it because you can't change someone who's not ready for it but also you can't want that change for them and so I do believe once you become intuitive that like diet culture becomes a big issue it's really funny because I was a dating I was on a dating app the other day and someone said what's a deal breaker and I said um, any person who has disordered eating and it just came out of my mouth before I even realized it and I was like all right that actually is a deal breaker for me I just don't think I could do it anymore like mm. I it, it affects my body positivity too much it does affect me and especially if you're in a relationship it's just you're in my space with it you're like in my time with it and I just Can't like, and I do think that can be a deal breaker. It has become for me. Um, that I I just
0: sorry, can I ask because I know there will be people listening who are in relationships who maybe diet culture has been a bonding part in their relationship in the past, and one of the partners has discovered um this approach and you know wanting to move away from diet culture, but they're in a marriage or they're you know they're in a long term relationship. And you still love that person, and you don't want to, you know, it may be a deal breaker if you were to start again. If I'm looking, yeah. Yes, but you don't want to, you know, just give up on that because that person's on a diet and I'm not. Yeah. Um,
1: and I just. So wondered, you ring fence it. Okay. So you ring fence it and you set boundaries. So I'm really proud of you for you do, going on your journey, but. I can't talk about it with you, I can't be a good girlfriend to you in this moment, you're going to need to go to your friends for these conversations, Mm -hmm. I really want to support you, but it's just not within my capability at the moment, and I couldn't, wouldn't be able to do it without it impacting my own mental health, I, like, I'm really happy for you, and I'm always here to talk about anything else, but just not around this issue, and that's the way I would say it, and, like, if, if, the way they eat starts impacting the way you eat, then fine, new boundary, we cook separate meals. Things like that, where I'm just not going to, it's not something I can negotiate. I think the problem with diet, the reason why I'm quite, I don't know, some people call me harsh around it, is because when it comes to diet culture, I find if you open the door slightly, it's so quick. I find this sounds really stupid, but I started watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills And one of the um, characters, like, seven seasons in, one of the characters is called an accountability coach. And she's essentially, like, make sure you lose weight. And so the diet culture part of my brain goes, I wonder what she looked like before, types it into Google. I'm not even joking. Three hours later, I was, like, all the way down on her Instagram, like, looking at every single client's photos. I am, what eight, nine years out of diet culture and I found myself doing that for two hours and then found myself at the end of the two hours being like, what did I just do? And it's because you still have that part in you, no matter how small it is. And I've not done something like that in maybe like three years but also I didn't have any thoughts I didn't have any thoughts of like oh I could lose weight it was just the like step yeah and it was all the staring at the before and afters but it was the fact that like so that's an improvement I didn't have the thoughts of oh maybe I should join or oh maybe I should follow her but It still led me down a path where I spent two hours of my life looking at before and after photos on one person's page simply because I was watching her on TV. Um, And it's things like that, which that's why I'm so strict about it is because I know how quickly you can slide back in it. And I've worked way too hard and way too long. Um, And you're right. Like, if I was in a relationship, let's say I'm in a 10-year relationship, it wouldn't be a deal breaker for me. It's more so a deal breaker when finding a new person. Mm. But if I was in a 10-year relationship and they decide to start going on a diet, I'd be like, good for you. Enjoy your diet. But it cannot impact me. Mm. Yeah,
0: and I think... I think maybe that it feels hard like in this current climate I think of like binaries of like you're either this or you're that you're either anti-diet or you're not and that there has to be a gray area where some people we need to coexist somehow and I think you know boundaries are I think a really good way in which we can do that and how we can navigate this world without you know constantly feeling like we're going to be triggered by something yeah Um, and creating, like, I, I'm envisioning, you know, like, the Zorb balls where you, like, run down the hill. (laughs) Like, we all live in our own little Zorb balls, and we can, you know, that's our boundaries. Well, so
1: I imagine a Zorb ball popping up the moment I say something like, that is not a feeling. It's like, no matter what you say now in this conversation, it's going to bounce off the Zorb ball, and I'm not going to absorb it. But I think you're right. Like, I think boundaries are so much more important now than ever before, because we're, spending more time with our partners we're spending more time inside alone and so being careful and like people are more sensitive because we're all dealing with more emotions than ever before Mm. I'm of the belief that triggers are a great thing because it presents an opportunity to heal an old unhealed wound um but you don't want to be constantly triggered by your partner like Mm. in a place so that's meant to be a safe relationship and I guess the the distinction is the fact that if your partner is the one constantly triggering you then it creates a level of unsafety within that relationship and that's why I would boundary it but I also think it squashes the idea that is meant to be really romantic that your partner should be your all and should be your everything which I think it's okay to say in the same way that like if I was dating someone who loved football I'd be like Babe, I love you. I'm not going to any football matches, though. you're going to have to go to your friends for that. You can say the same thing around diet culture. And I remember I said this once to a client and she was like, it was around a friend. It wasn't a boyfriend, but like her friend, she said to her friend, like, can you stop talking about diets around me? Because I had given her that sentence to say. And her friend said, it's free speech. I can talk about what I like. And I was like, okay, so how you reply to that is you can talk about what you like, I'm asking you to talk, not talk about diets with me. And that's a distinction. And also, why do you wanna have this conversation when I don't wanna be a part of it? That's forcing your agenda when I'm not interested. Why would you want to have that conversation? I don't know about you, but I don't wanna have a conversation with a person who's getting increasingly bored, let alone someone who's getting increasingly triggered. I can find another friend to go have that conversation with. So yes, free speech, you can say whatever you like, but if you're saying whatever you like and having a disregard for the other person's feelings in front of you, then again, not good friendship, not a good relationship.
0: Mm. Michelle, I just feel like we're gonna have to do this again because I feel like there's a lot of stuff we can go. <laughs> I through. would love that. Um, there's you've really come out with some great stuff today, and I think people are gonna really get so much from this. So I really appreciate that. Where can everyone find you? Where is the best place to? find more of your work on boundaries and all that good stuff
1: so i'm at scar not scared on twitter instagram and tiktok yes i'm one of those tiktokers we both love <laughs> michelle and i
0: both love tiktok i'm getting to you know i'll link your tiktok in the info box and i'll link my tiktok why not yes
1: <laughs> and also check out Sally's tiktok if you haven't already um my book is am i ugly and my ted talk is online called have you hated your body enough today and those are all my places
0: amazing i'm gonna link all of that below anyway so everyone can find you but thank you so much michelle and thank you for having me my pleasure and to everyone listening make sure to use the tag at train happy podcast hashtag train happy podcast tag michelle and i let us know what you learned from today's episode because i think there's just so much to take away and i'll see you in the next one bye